This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. to be with you today for episode three of Worth Recovery. Since Tuesday, we have nearly doubled our downloads. That's totally crazy. Keep sharing. There are more of us out there than you think, and we each need to connect and feel connected to other women going through the struggle we are going through because the struggle struggle is real, super real. I continue my challenge from Tuesday. Share this with another woman who you know is struggling with sex addiction. The topic of our episode today is connection on demand. You know, the way our world works these days, we very rarely have to wait for or work at anything. Food is available 24 hours a day from a variety of restaurants. Netflix makes TV and movie consumption easy, fast, and convenient. I know I get upset if I have to wait more than, you know, like a minute to load a web page. And I hate being on hold for any reason whatsoever. People are constantly looking for the next get-rich-quick scheme or some way to avoid having to work hard for anything. Everything seems to be right at our fingertips all the time. And I really feel like, as a society, we've grown to expect that connecting with other people should be just as easy and convenient as everything else in the world. And when it doesn't come as quickly as we want or as easily as we want, we get frustrated, we feel lonely, and we turn to other sources of connection. I call these sources connection on demand. Accessible to us at all times, 24 hours a day, is a network of chat rooms, pornography, erotica, personal ads, dating websites, social media, and fantasy. Especially fantasy, right? Let me share a personal example. Okay, so months, this was months and months ago, maybe a year or so ago, I was driving home from a family event. It hadn't ended well at all. I was angry, frustrated, resentful. I was hurt by some of the things that had been said. It had been a challenging number of hours to say the least. Now just a little bit about my family. We're, we're a normal family. A big dose of dysfunction, but really who doesn't have challenges and issues to overcome, right? We are all pretty opinionated. Okay, really opinionated. I have a number of siblings and we all like to be right. We don't always get along. I would say most of the time we don't get along. We have some enmeshment issues, yet we have a loyalty of sorts, healthy or unhealthy, and we are trying to get better. We are all learning and are all trying to build better relationships. Is that, it hasn't always been that way, but okay, wait, totally digress there. Back to the point. Okay, so I'm driving home and I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm hurt, I'm resentful, and really just plain mad, like seriously mad. I could tell you all the reasons why, and then you could be mad with me, but that is not the point of my story. Some incredibly hurtful and unnecessary things had been said, and I left crying. Now, I know from experience that if I don't talk about those feelings, or I sit on them, or I stuff them down, it's not good for me. So, I did what I've trained myself to do. I made a phone call. But there was no answer. Okay, so I made another phone call. But there was still no answer. I made six more phone calls, and still no answers. I left some messages, but, you know, no one really answered the phone. So now, in addition to feeling angry, hurt, frustrated, mad, 
resentful. I, I felt rejected. Rejected. Here, I needed to talk to someone. I needed to process and there was no one, no one to listen to me, no one to talk with me, no one to process with or get an outside opinion. There was nothing, just me, the car and empty air. Let me note here that I know people were not rejecting me. I understand that not answering the phone is not a rejection at all. I totally get that. But in the moment, that was the story I was telling myself in my head and it was powerful. As that kind of false sense of rejection settled in, I started to feel lonely. Things started playing out in my head like, it's Friday night at 9.30. People are probably busy doing fun things with fun people. What's your problem? Why aren't you out on a date? What is wrong with you? Why don't you have real friends? People won't even answer the phone when you call. They don't even really like you. You need a life, a real life with real people. Seriously, when are you going to get your act together already? Okay, now that's a super dangerous combination for me. Anger, rejection, and loneliness. Again, though, let me know. I know that none of this was true. I know this was simply the story I was telling myself in my head. Yet that story had a very real emotional effect on me. Very real. I could feel my stomach churn and this rage bubbling up inside of me. When this happens... The result has always been a huge sense of entitlement. The next thoughts in my head are something like this. Fine. You don't want me? I'll go find people that do. You know, I'm surrounded by people with serious issues who are rejecting me. No worries. I need to go find normal people. Normal people that will accept me. People like on Craigslist. Because, <laughs> you know, people that post on Craigslist are normal, right? I mean, I posted ads on Craigslist and I'm normal. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you can see kind of the path that that goes down, right? You get the picture here. I tried to talk myself down off the ledge. I remember saying out loud to myself, this is not real. People are not rejecting you. It is okay. You are going to be okay. But in that moment, in that moment, it wasn't enough. In that moment, I couldn't talk myself down. See, I was already in a fantasy in my head. I had dreamed up a world where people were rejecting me, where people didn't want to connect with me. Fantasy takes many, many forms. And because I was already there, it wasn't hard to take it to the next step. I just, you know, simply started to pretend that there was someone next to me in the car, my imaginary partner. And I started this imaginary conversation. One thing you need to know about me, if you haven't learned that already, is that I don't do anything halfway. And that includes fantasy. So when I say that I pretend there was a person next to me in the car, I'm being serious. I commit to it all the way, 100% all the way. Like we have a full on out loud conversation. I can't even believe I'm telling you this, but it's true. It's so embarrassing, but it's true. I speak out loud both parts. Yes, yes, I do. And I'll even glance at the empty seat while I'm talking, you know, like pretending that someone is actually sitting there and like I'm responding to what they have to say, even though I'm saying it. Okay, so it's intense, I know. And I'm starting to turn totally red, but that's how it works for me. So we start talking and you know what? He totally takes my side. It's like totally awesome. And you know what else? He says exactly the right thing every single time. It's like the total perfect conversation. As we're talking, my phone rings. People got the messages and they were starting to call me back. But you know what? I don't answer. 
I tried already. I reached out and they weren't ready when I wanted it. So now I have what I want. Never mind that he doesn't actually exist or that I'm playing his part and my part or that I'm glancing at an empty chair. Right. Yeah. Reminder. That's now, that's not what matters now, right? I'm connecting with him and I'm getting exactly what I wanted exactly when I wanted it. My drive home is about 40 minutes and I spent at least 30 of that talking out loud to my imaginary partner. Yeah, I told you I commit, right? All the way. We pull off the freeway just as we finish the topic and I'm feeling much better, much, much better. I made some comment about it being late and feeling tired and with that little comment explodes my mind into all sorts of lust-filled talk about what we're going to do when we get home. Yes, I'm still playing both parts, and yes, he is still not there, and yes, it is still 100% imaginary and 100% fantasy, and I am still glancing at this chair. Empty chair, by the way. After maybe two minutes, I feel my body start to physically react to the conversation I am having out loud with this pretend partner next to me in my empty car, and thankfully, I wake up. I take a deep breath and I say out loud again to myself, I can't do this. I can't do this at all. I can't at all indulge in lust or any type of sexual fantasy. I know from my previous experiences in addiction that it does not work out. It never works out. I pick my phone back up. I've ignored three phone calls in the drive home. I call one of them back. I come clean on what just happened They didn't say the right things. They didn't even take my side. In fact, I kind of got called out on the whole thing. I committed to staying in reality and staying sober, and I hung up. Not feeling all that great. Not feeling like I made a connection. Definitely not feeling all warm and fuzzy like I had earlier. In fact, I felt worse than when I had left my family event. I wanted my fantasy back, and I wanted it bad. But that is poison for me. And so instead of resorting back to my fantasy, I let it go. I did some reading. I prayed to surrender it and went to sleep. That was the end of it. And my pretend partner hasn't made an appearance since. Well, he hasn't been allowed to stick around when he does make an appearance because this is something I struggle with. I'm getting better and I'm light light years ahead of where I've been. But the struggle is real. My struggle with fantasy is real. Okay, so now fast forward about six or seven months. I'm on the phone with one of the women I work with in recovery. She gets done explaining a recent struggle she was having and ends with, you know, I miss the connection on demand that my addiction was providing me. Connection on demand. Connection on demand. This huge light bulb went off in my head. Connection on demand. That is what fantasy provides. That is what the internet provides, the chat room, the personal ads, the social media, pornography, erotica, even masturbation, all provide this connection on demand. I want connection when I want it, how I want it, and I certainly don't want to work for it. I had lived my life for decades like that, decades, not weeks, months, or years, literally decades. When things got rough or didn't go how I wanted them to, or maybe people just didn't respond how I needed them to respond or how I thought I needed them to respond, I retreated to some sort of connection on demand. Even before I had started acting out sexually, fantasy had been ever present in my life. 
I was constantly telling myself stories that were not grounded or connected to reality. But as things progressed, nearly all of the connection on demand options had their time or phase in my addiction. Brene Brown, author of Daring Greatly and most recently Rising Strong, has said, quote, We're hardwired for connection. There's no arguing with the bioscience, but we can want it so badly we try to hotwire it, close quote. That is what connection on demand is. When we desire connection so badly, we try to hotwire it and steal it instead of putting in the work to earn it and the maintenance it requires. This is exactly what had happened to me that night in the car months and months ago. I was hurt, angry, resentful, and lonely. I am in recovery and I did the right thing. I tried to reach out, tried to make a connection, but it didn't come exactly at the moment or in the way I wanted. So... I chose previous addictive behaviors. I tried to hotwire it, shortcut it by going into fantasy. Rather than wait just a few minutes until someone called me back, I found an escape. And when the phone did ring, when reality presented itself and came knocking, I ignored it. I was already making a connection, right? (laughs) Wrong. Patrick Carnes, the man who put sex addiction on the map and author of Out of the Shadows has said, quote, addiction is an illness of escape. Its goal is to obliterate, medicate, or ignore reality. It is an alternative to letting oneself feel hurt, betrayal, worry, and most painful of all, loneliness. Close quote. And that is exactly what Connection on Demand provides. An escape from reality. An escape from the feelings of hurt, betrayal, worry, and most painful, as he says, loneliness. And in these two quotes, this is where the conundrum lies. See, we're hardwired for connection. It's ingrained in us. It is essential to our well-being. It's part of our DNA. Yet connection is messy. There is no other way about it. While seeking, discovering, maintaining connection, we will feel hurt, betrayal, worry, and loneliness. We will also feel happiness, excitement, peace, and joy, but we never focus on those things, right? We always focus on the hard part of connection. And when we feel hurt, betrayal, worry, and loneliness... Patrick Kearns tell us we will want to escape. That's been my experience. I want to escape. And when we do that too much, over and over again, it becomes compulsive. And if we insist on it again and again, it will become an addiction. And therein lies the story of my life. Seriously. Desperately seeking connection, not able to find it or feel successful at it, hot wiring it over and over again till it almost felt real, and then dumped and left in reality when my stolen connection was repossessed. Wow. I've thought a lot about this and tried to dig a little deeper in my own life and how connection, lack of it, or connection on demand has affected me. I know that when I'm accessing connection on demand regularly in my life, these are some of the consequences that I experience. First, I begin to lose patience with the real people in my life. Connection is messy. People make mistakes. They don't say things exactly like I want to hear them. They are real and they have bad days and they get grumpy and moody sometimes. But connection on demand is never like that. I get what I want when I want it. But other people don't measure up. They never will. And I begin to lose patience. Next, I start to hold the real people around me to out of this world, unreal expectations. They can't be available at every second exactly when I want them but I start thinking that they should be. They don't read my mind and know when to call me, when to send me flowers or how I want to be treated, but my fantasy does. 
and so do the men I was using online to vent to or share my fantasies with. This resulted in trying to exert a level of control over people that was unhealthy and totally inappropriate. Totally inappropriate. Last, I let fantasy and these false connections become the measuring stick in my life. If real people couldn't keep up, and they never could, I kicked them to the curb. But see, it wasn't just one individual fantasy or person. It was this composite of all my fantasies or encounters I had ever experienced. I was getting my needs met from several sources, and yet I looked for a real connection that had it all. Well, that's just never going to happen. This resulted in isolation, isolating further and further away from people and deeper and deeper into this addictive life I had created. It really became the easier route, the reliable, dependable route. I became fearful of people and of risk. I became jealous of those making real connections. And all the while, I felt more and more broken inside, more and more incapable of making a connection and felt like my addictive behavior was my only choice for ever finding connection in my life even if it wasn't real. Johan Hari has been exploring the true cause of addiction, something he believes is largely misunderstood. He has a great TED Talk about addiction. The link is on the Worth Recovery website if you're interested in watching it. In his TED Talk, though, he says, For a hundred years now, we've been singing war songs about addicts. And I think all along, we should have been singing love songs to them. Because the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. The opposite of addiction is connection. To truly leave behind addiction, we have to be willing to leave behind the false sense of security that connection on demand gives us and reach out for the real connection in our lives. Reach out to a higher power, reach out to people and take the risk of self-disclosure. Real connection takes work. It takes patience and persistence. It also takes courage and bravery. It's learning to trust. It's being vulnerable. It's willing to share with others the things that are most important to us. It takes real empathy and real caring. And it takes a whole lot of love. A whole lot of love for those around us. But more importantly, a whole lot of love for ourselves. And if you're anything like me, That was one of the true roots of my problem with connection, feeling like I alone without trading services or offering my body for sex was enough for someone to want to connect with feeling worth the air I breathed or the space I took up in this world was difficult for me getting into recovery and finding other women being brave and sharing their experiences was the first step to learning to accept myself. This has been some of the hardest work I've ever done. It's not easy, and I wish I could offer some type of magic list. The five steps to guaranteed connection, or the ten keys to loving yourself. There are countless books out there that offer those promises. Believe me, (laughs) I've read many of them. But what I can offer is my experience, with the goal that it can provide some hope for you. When I started recovery, I couldn't even look at myself. Literally, I didn't look in the mirror all day long on purpose, even in the bathroom. Today, I smile at myself in the mirror every chance I get. Seriously, it's the best thing. When I started recovery, I would catch a stranger looking at me in a restaurant and my mind would go wild with the story about how he thought I was ugly and couldn't peel his eyes away from the train wreck that he was staring at. Today, I smile back 
and I go on with my conversation without giving it a second thought. I noticed that the other day when I was at a restaurant and I was had a really grateful moment. When I started recovery, I was afraid of all social events and would avoid them at all costs. I dreaded the whole like, tell me about yourself question, feeling like what would spill out of my mouth would be, oh, hi, I'm Amy, I'm a sex addict, and I've been sober since. <laughs> you know how it goes, right? Today, I adore meeting new people. I love to listen to their lives, understand who they are, and learn from their perspective. I also love to share who I am, what is important to me, and what I'm doing in my own life. When I started recovery, I had resigned myself to a lonely life. I figured that what I had done in addiction destined me to be unworthy of love and acceptance forever. I was discouraged and sad about it, but felt that was my fate for the choices that I had made. Today, I have huge hope for the future. I feel love from other people. I feel acceptance. And I'm excited about the possibility of making connection with more people. These may sound like small and trite things to you, just little things, but they are huge in my life. The fact that I can walk into a social event and enjoy myself is huge. The fact that I actually seek out social events and purposefully attend is massive. The fact that I have hope for the future and future connection of love and acceptance has been life-changing. By far though, the biggest change for me has been in the working of steps one, two, and three. Finding a power greater than myself, a higher power that knows me, cares about me, and is working for my good has been a change in my life for the better. Let me end with one more car story. I told you I talk a lot out loud in my car. I had been in recovery for just a few months when I had an epic connection fail. Epic. And to top it all off, it was totally my fault. 100% my fault. Distraught. I acted out that night. I relapsed and lost my sobriety. I was hurt. I was resentful, angry, and lonely. I got in my car to go for a drive, which I do quite often. I love to drive. And rather than reach out to fantasy or to connection on demand, I instead reached up to my higher power. I began praying out loud in my car. I cried and cried and poured my heart out. I'm trying, I kept saying. This is hard and it hurts and all I want to do is act out again and retreat and isolate. I'm failing big time and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this connection thing. I don't get it, but I'm trying. I'm trying so hard. I can't explain it, but this tangible feeling of peace filled my car. My heart stilled, my mind cleared, and I could feel the words. I know, Amy, I know. And in that moment, I knew my higher power was aware of me and was reaching out to connect with me. That has become one of my most treasured connections, the connection that I have with my higher power. I want you to remember that the opposite of addiction is connection. I know it's hard. I know it's messy. I know it requires vulnerability and risk. I know that it will hurt, but I also know that it's 100% worth it. Take the risk today. Remember, no matter what happens, no matter what's going on, please remember that you are worth recovery and so very, very loved. Until next time, Amy.
legal stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.